Bible says in James chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse number 13, as we said, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? Everybody say his own lusts. That term is idiopathume. We'll talk about it. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, if you have a King James Version, it says when sin is finished, uh, it brings forth death. Now stay in your word and come with me over to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to begin reading with verse number 2 and end at verse number 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge or the true knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of not this the human nature but partakers of the divine nature stay with me church the divine nature having what escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You may be seated. I want to talk to you for a few moments on Lord, cleanse my inventory. Lord, cleanse my inventory. We're talking this month on, uh, and uh, let me just say, uh, uh, Brother Jack Evans Jr. did a wonderful job kind of putting a cap on faith last week. He's here today, and it's good to see him. Uh, amen. He did a wonderful job, wonderful job. Uh, very, very powerful message, full of conviction. Uh, woe unto us preachers when we stop preaching based on conviction. Uh, when, uh, well, anyway, I won't, I, won't, I won't hammer that in. But anyway, uh, so uh, we went into a new month, and for the month of July, we're talking about evolving away from sin onto maturity, all right? We're going to talk about a topic that is uh, not really favored in our world today. Uh, it is not really favored. It's a topic that has met with much resistance. It is a topic that even some of the saved don't favor hearing about. Uh, when we talk about evolving away from sin, we're moving into an aspect of systematic theology, as some would, who scholars would, would call it, called homartiology, which is the study of sin. Uh, the reality is you cannot be mature and be at a different place in maturity if you're at the same place in sin. This is the gist of it all. You don't get to be in a different place in maturity, but be in the same place when it comes to your sin. As you mature, watch this, as you mature, and it's, a, it's an ambiguous thing, as we mature, evolve, right, grow, what happens is, in Christ, we begin to come away from sin, meaning the appetite, the taste, the desire, right? Now, here's the ambiguity of it. As we, if we are mature, as we begin to crave and pursue sin, we diminish in our maturity. And if you and I were honest today, we would have to, be, we would have to admit that there are times in our lives where we're doing this seesaw thing. 
where we're getting mature in our lives and we're, we're, we're evolving, growing away from sin, and then some traumatic experience happens, something happens that affects us emotionally, something affects us financially, there's a crisis that comes up, a trauma, a tragedy, a tribulation, and somehow we let things slip, and watch this, we start uh, gravitating towards sin, and as you gravitate towards sin, you diminish in your maturity. And so the key is to mature in Christ because when you don't mature in Christ, you will lie dormant in sin, right? So you mature in Christ, and the way to do that, and watch this, what happens simultaneously is you evolve away from sin. You don't get to have it both ways. You and I, we don't get to have it both ways. And so we're talking about homartiology, we're talking about sin. These topics were in place before anything happened. They were in place in December of 2019, which means, and I'm just going to assume and suppose, that if they were, if we put them together before the year turn, that everything we talk about during every month is by God's design. That means somebody needs to hear that. Uh, uh, and, and somebody, and we need to hear it, not just somebody, but we need to hear it. Uh, there is, if you would, a disdain for this because when we talk about sin, number one, uh, sin or the subject of sin has a tendency in the human experience to agitate the conscience. It is not popular. You don't hear shouts of amen. You don't hear affirmations. Because when we talk about sin, it disrupts the conscience. We live in a society that has a conscience that has, that has been sedated and lulled to a sleepy place. Well, uh, if you're up with popular and pop culture and movies, the, this society has been lulled to what's, what someone would call a sunken place. Morality has become subjective. Morality and ideology has become subjective. There are things now that have been accepted and relabeled and, and compromised is, is, has been uh, the, the, uh, the recourse or the result. And the compromises, unfortunately, are not being made by society because unregenerated society, it doesn't matter that, that they compromise. You, you, when you're in sin, compromise is a regular thing. What I'm concerned about is that that compromise is being taken by even those who have named the name of Jesus, which means we're getting to a place sometimes, and we're getting to a place where we accept the labels of uh, that have been that sin has been replaced with now when you accept sin as a label then what you do is you take away the reality of how God sees it and what God calls it okay what happens then when you call something that's sin by some other name by some name that's manageable by some name or label that's less agitating to the conscience, by some label that is less, uh, less indicting, then what you do is you, by virtue of relabeling it to something that is okay and manageable and acceptable, invalidate the whole scheme of redemption. Jesus did not come to save men from having a little fun every now and then. He didn't come to save humanity from, you know, living my best life based on my morality and this is how I live and this is how I choose to live. He didn't come to save men and women from, uh, you know, it's not, you know, I'm just, I'm just chilling, you know, Netflix and chill and we're going to move in together. He didn't come to save us from cohabitation unmarried cohabitation. He didn't come to save us from just having a good time between the sheets. 
Do you see how society has labeled sin? And so what that does is it makes it manageable. It makes it less tasteful. It's like taking cow manure and sprinkling it with sugar and putting some lemon pepper on it or whatever spice you like and dousing it with steak sauce so that you can eat it and somehow something that's disgusting to eat becomes delectable to eat. And unfortunately, this is affecting even the elect of God where the devil is doing an okie dope and we're forgetting what sin is and we're embracing any and everything and making it acceptable because society accepts it. Watch this. We can never become mature if we have accepted where we are. Hear me today. If I never got to a point where I, where I stopped accepting that using the rest or, or, or urinating in the bed was not was I, what I'm supposed to do, then I would be a 45-year-old man who still urinates in the bed because I haven't accepted that this is not what's supposed to be. Amen. And unfortunately, the mailmen of the gospel of Christ, those who would carry the word of God, have to deliver messages that sting a little bit, but don't be deceived. If it stings a little bit to hear it, it show enough stings to prepare this lesson. Amen? So let's talk about it. And you're saying, well, I, I know you're talking about sin and maturing, but what about the maturing part? Maturity in Christ will never be acquired if you don't develop a distaste for the things that hinder your maturing process. You can't be okay with what's stopping you from reaching where God wants you to be and think you will reach where God wants you to be. The first thing God demands of his children is that we see it like he sees it and that we develop or begin the journey of developing a distastefulness for things that are not of God. Well, what does the Bible say when it comes to this? I would have you know that before we go on, and like I said, we're just going to probably end up dealing with this text. You, you and I need to understand that, number one, God hates sin. He hates sin. Okay? Now, what, we, what happens a lot in this time is everybody fills in the blank as to what that sin looks like. But he hates sin. That's by nature and that's by behavior. Why? Because number one, sin is contrary to the very nature of God. If you write notes, I want you to take that down. He hates sin, one, because it is contrary to his nature. I want you to look at Proverbs, and we'll get to this text. The text is really brief. It's really a brief text. We're just going to make a few points. But Proverbs chapter 6, start with verse 16. I want you to see this in your Bible. Uh, and again, every now and then we need to be stimulated with this because the world is, you know, more in the air than COVID-19 is the spirit of spiritual lethargy that will take you and make you and I comfortable with, with things that God is not pleased with, okay? It, it's in the atmosphere, you know? Why is it in the atmosphere? Is it chemical? No. We have to understand that one of the names of the enemy of God, the devil, is he's called the prince of the power of the air, which means the devil has limited atmospheric power atmospheric power and I'm not talking about the air and oxygen and, and, and all of the all of the chemicals in the air I'm talking about environment the devil has access and power to manipulate the environment and create an environment that brings about what he wants to be brought about I know none of you in here can remember this but for those of you who can honestly remember back when you were partying and clubbing 
even in the music, certain music can come on and it would change the atmosphere. Suddenly the wimp, that, the, the, the nerd that came in with A plus gra grades and, and who's just visiting with some hardcore friends, he gets hardcore. Y'all not going to come with me. You, I know you're going to act like you don't remember. I'm talking about pre-COVID, which was just a few months ago. The music get to going. People get to swaying, standing up against the wall with a, with a bottle of uh, apple juice, right? The music's going. People get full. Uh, they're, getting, they're getting a little tipsy. And the atmosphere, somebody bumps into somebody. Now watch this. The, the devil's manipulating the atmosphere. Next thing you know, there's a, something that happens that shows up on the news. We forget that the devil has power to manipulate. Now, he's called the prince of the power of the air. But what is God's position? God hates Sin. Can I hear you say that? God hates sin. He never started liking it. He never, got, he, he never became okay with it. He never compromised about that. God hates sin. Okay? Now, I know we generalize it now, but the text we're going to get to is going to show us, and we're going to bring it more into focus. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, let's read this briefly. Read. There are six things which the Lord hates. Six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination seven to him. Seven which are an abomination to him. Look at it. Haughty eyes. Uh-huh. A lying tongue. Lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. False witness that utters lies. And one who spreads strife among brothers. And one who spreads strife among... Look, God never changed how he felt about this God still hates this now watch this because God hates this the path to maturity as Christians has to begin with connecting with God joining God in disdaining whatever he disdains which means the child of God you and I are to get to where we hate or despise what God hates there's nothing more hurtful than having someone in your life who loves what you hate. Oh, y'all not with me? Y'all not with me? Let's just say it's a child. There's nothing more hurtful than having a child who's falling for something that you completely hate, whether it be addiction, whether it be crime, whether it be violence, because what you as a parent want, based on your character, if I hate it, you need to hate it, and I don't hate it for hating its sake, but I hate sin. Watch this. God hates sin so much, not only because it's against his character, but he hates sin because he loves us. Yeah, y'all not with me? Y'all not with me? Any parents in here? Any parents in here ever have a child that, uh, uh, that looked like it was, he, was, he or she was in the path of danger? And that danger comes, and you know that's danger, and you see it coming, and you see your child about to intersect with that. And watch this. You hate that thing. You hate that influence that your child is under. And what intensifies your hate for that influence they're under is how much you love your child. I hate the bad influences in this world because I love my children so much and I hate it because not only is it different from what I am and what I'm trying to be, but I hate it because of how it affects my children. And God hates sin not only because it's contrary to his character, but because he loves us so much. Go to Psalms 5 and 4. Psalms 5. And four, we need to move swiftly. Psalms 5 and 4. What does the Bible say? For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. You are not a God that takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. No evil dwells with you. God saw from the beginning of time. It's no, none of that is in God. 
But what was not in God came upon his creation whom he loved. And God hated that thing while loving his children. And the fact that it had his child, his creation, Adam and Eve, and ultimately all of humanity intensifies God's hate because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And when darkness fell on humanity through sin, it broke the fellowship. God hates that which takes his children away from him. But do we hate sin? Oh, I know. We hate, in our human nature, other people's sin. Some of us only hate ugly when it's on somebody else. I said some of us. It's easy to hate ugly when it's on somebody else. Yeah, I, you know, it's easy to posture yourself, that's just terrible, that's just terrible. Because as the old adage goes, we have a tendency to judge ourselves by our intentions and everybody else by their actions. What does that mean, preacher? We judge ourselves by what we meant to do and others by what they did. And we're disgusted by the ugliness of sin. But let me tell you something. God does not discriminate. He hates sin wherever it is. Amen. So, so how, how, did sin, how did sin get here? Now, I got a problem with sin. Right? I got a problem with sin. We all should have a problem with sin. And when you have a problem with sin you end up with a struggle with sin. Well, no, you don't, you, don't, you don't get what I'm saying. We only struggle with things we have a problem with. When you don't have a problem with it, you surrender to it. The struggle means there's something that I don't want to give in to. There's nothing wrong with struggling. It means that there's something about this that I don't want to surrender to. So every child of God, because God hates sin, should have a problem with sin that leads to a struggle with sin. I'm struggling. In the church sometimes we treat struggle we demonize struggle. Somebody said, brothers and sisters, I'm struggling with this. And we demonize it like it's a bad thing. When you're sitting across the way from somebody who surrendered to it. Or know somebody in your life that gave in to it. The idea is because God hates it, it's different from his nature, and we're children of God. We should struggle with it. Amen? So how did sin get here? What was, the, what was the way it got here? We know it was through temptation. And James here in this first chapter of the book of James, he uses the word tempt in, the, in ambiguous ways. Because to tempt means to test. It means to test. But it also means to uh, to lead out to error, right? To, to try someone. Uh, so watch this. Depending on who has the tempt makes the difference between the end result. When God tests us, he's testing us so that we can be strengthened or use the strength he gave us. When the devil tempts us, he tempts us so that we can fail in the strength we have. One wants to see and make us stronger. The other wants us to fall in weakness. James said God doesn't 
Let not a man say, when I am tempted, I am tempted of God. He's not talking about tempted as in tested. God tested Abraham's faith, remember? Genesis 22. He's saying that when a man is tempted, tempted in a way to sin, let him not say that God tripped me up. I messed up because of God. Now what, what this is, watch this, it can easily be traced to the very first sin. When Adam sinned, do you know what he said when God called him to the carpet? He said, that woman you gave me. Y'all don't remember that? Adam, where art thou? Have y'all taken of, oh, you already in trouble. Have you taken of the tree that I told you not to? Adam said, Lord, I could just see him. Lord, that woman you gave me. Let not a man say when I'm tempted, I'm tempted of evil. For God can't be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt with evil. But look at what the text says. You said, preacher, you called it, Lord, cleanse my inventory. Because I'm going to show you something. Bible says... Verse 14, each man or each one is tempted, number one, when he is carried away. What is carried? What are you talking about, James? It means not, it's more violent than led away. <laughs> uh, I know over the years in King James, you know, when he is led away, it's not a leading uh, Leading would have the idea of, uh, we have a dog, we have a dog, and we don't use a leash sometimes because all we have to do is walk and the dog will follow. We're leading the dog. Dragging is walking with a leash while pulling the leash. Now, now it almost leaves us looking like Satan's victim. But a gun can't hurt you if it has no ammunition. Now, I will say the devil has big guns. Problem is, he has no ammo. We have ammo in our inventory. What are you saying? James says, every man is carried away when he, what, is tempted by his what? Own lust. You and I have in us the ammo that the enemy will ever use to drag us away, to carry us away, which means, watch this, that our level of temptation will be regulated by what we are carrying in our hearts. And you say, preacher, I want something to have to do with this time. We got to be careful doing this time. Because if you and I did not have good study habits and prayer habits and we sit down and we consume everything that's on Facebook and consume everything that's on TV, what are we doing? We are stocking up an inventory of what the devil can use. The devil always has more to use with someone who has a high inventory. This word... This word, and enticed by your own lust, it, that phrase is idiopathumia. Interesting word. Idio is where we get our word idiosyncrasies. That, that means something that is our, something we have a hang up with, right? Uh, idio means something that's yours. It means something you own. Epithumia means passion, which means he's not talking in general here. He's in essence saying we are carried away. The ammo that we have in our inventory, inventory is not general. It is a personal 
inventory. Now, now this is going to help somebody. That word lust is intensified desire. Desire that is intensified by emotion. We live in a society that's over-sexualized, and so when we think lust, a lot of times we think sexual. And we think sexual because sexual, sex is a passion. But the very first temptation that humanity fell to had nothing to do with sex. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that Eve told the serpent, Yes, we may eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree that is in the middle of the garden. We can't eat it nor touch it lest we die. This is what the devil did. He disarmed her defenses by implementing a lie. Watch this. You will not surely die. Now watch this. Then he uses suggestive language. Ooh, ooh, watch this. Sin and the temptation of it is often suggestive because through the power of suggestion, the right person can change how you see things. Y'all not going to come with me, so I'm going to come up on you. There are many enemies made because someone suggested something and you see people different now. How many times have we seen things differently than how they were because of suggestion? And what he digs into when he's making suggestion is he's digging into the inventory of what we desire. After the devil finished with Eve, watch this. The Bible says that she looked at the tree that it was good for food and one to make her wise. She started out saying, we can't eat of this tree. But after the devil reached into her heart because she was a free moral agent and suggested something, she changed how she saw what was off limits. My brothers and my sisters, the devil's not using any new tricks. Hello? You want somebody's job on your job? And you're saying, I shouldn't be that way. The devil will put something in your ear. Look, he doesn't even do it as well as you. You are kind of right. You know what? That job ought to be mine. How many of you see what I'm saying? And before long, you're seeing it differently. Because of the devil's suggestion based on our lust, our craving, our desire, overriding the commandment of God. Now, now, my brothers and my sisters, hear me today when I tell you that it sounds simple, and it is, but it is simple and complex at the same time. Because we have been given a new nature that is sinless. The new nature we have is sinless. When we were born again, we were born again, not of corruptible, but incorruptible. But the problem is we have this new nature trapped in this old body. And this body wants things that the nature doesn't want. That this body desires and have cravings and, and, and have, has intensified lust that the nature doesn't want. Now watch this. Then we live in a system that thrives off of you fulfilling that desire. We live in a system that lays before us, it's called the world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life are not of God but are of this world. What do you mean? We live in a world that pushes you in a direction to where if you naturally surrendered, you would end up a distance from God. We went to, which is probably not open now, but we went to Great Wolf Lodge one year when the girls were small. And... Uh, 
they have this, I, I forgot what it's called, but you get into the water, this buzzer sound, <laughs> then the water starts doing things. I mean, the whole water shifts, and some of you may know what I'm talking about. Now watch this. When that water shifts, <laughs> you start moving. You don't realize you're moving. But because you, if you just go with the water, you start out over there. Before you know it, the current moves you. You don't even realize when it happens. It's almost seamless. You having fun. Frolicking in the water. And the fun you're having is all right, except that is moving you. Now, the way this thing works is the further you get to the wall is the deeper you're getting in water. But because you're treading water, you don't realize how deep it is. Then that thing stops. And when you stop, you start sinking and you realize that the shallow water you started in is not the shallow water you're in because you put up no resistance to the current. And that's what sin does. It will move you and at first you're standing and you're all right and then you're having fun. Then it stops and then you're drowning. Look at the text. James follows a process, and I'm almost done. He says, you have what the devil is using against you. The humanistic way is to blame something outside of you. But brother preacher, you don't know how I grew up. Some things happened when I was a kid. And all of us, a lot of us, have been there. Say amen if you had some things happen in your past that you had no control over. That traumatized you, that hurt you, you were exposed to things you should have never been exposed to when you were just a child. You paid for somebody else's bad decision, then suddenly you're wondering why in your adult years you're craving something that you didn't crave before. Because lusts are developed by a few things. Number one, exposure. Exposure develops lust. Young people, don't be so quick and in a hurry to experience certain things. Because until you're exposed to something, you, you don't lust after it. Nobody craves what they don't know. Hello? I'm a little Debbie man. At least I was before the pandemic. And I had my first little Debbie snack cake confession when I was about 10 years old me and little Debbie been rolling together for quite a long time I mean I knew on a first name basis you call a little Debbie I call a Deborah watch this and I'm using something very surface at 10 I had my first one, and over the years I've been eating them. Now watch this. Watch the current. Ten, fifteen, fifteen, seventeen, a do 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 do. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Do 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 do. Then diabetes. Watch the process. The experience was here. The diabetes was here. What happened? It grew. As I grew up, it grew up. 
Watch the text. The Bible says, every man is tempted. We're almost done. When he is carried away and enticed, what, what's the handle the devil is using? He's using your own lust. Right? You ever see a door and it has no handle? You can't really, it's hard to do anything with it. But the handle, the ammo, is our lust. Right? The Bible says, lust, when lust has conceived. Now he's using the, he's using the process of procreation. Lust conceives. And when lust conceives, it bringeth forth sin. Now watch this. King James says sin when it is finished. But the New American Standard Bible has, I believe, the more proper interpretation. It says when sin is accomplished, that word also means full grown. When sin gets grown, I used to think it was when sin get finished with you. No, 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 no. No, if you look at the flow, he's talking about conception, birth, adulthood, death. Isn't that the process of life? We're conceived, we're born, we grow up, we get old, then we die. James is using this same process. When lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it gets full grown, what does that look like in your life? It looks like something that started out as a tasty treat and ends up turning into diabetes. It matures. It evolves. The theme for this month is evolving away from sin. The challenge is you cannot, watch this, you cannot evolve away from something that is evolving in you. You're not going to mature out of sin if it is maturing in you. So let me help you understand something. Some of these hang-ups we have in our adult years may, may be the result of allowing a sin to grow up in us. And just like the process of life, conception, birth, growth, death. Sin takes the same course in your life. And sin, when it is finished, when it is grown, bringeth forth death. What is that like, Brother Preacher? I see sometimes... Uh, and we're praying, we're prayerful about these things, but sometimes people raise children without training them. And those of you who don't have kids yet, hear this. It's dangerous to raise kids without training them. Because the hurt they can inflict on you as a small child is minimal. But when they become full grown, they can take you out. And I'm not talking about through an act of violence. There are so many people who have left here because of the heartbreak that their children brought them full grown because there were some things left unchecked when they were small. What has become grown in you. What, what, what thing, what craving, what longing, what unhealthy desire? It can be ambition to where you'll step on anybody to get where you want to go. It can be envy 
to where you're always competing with people that are not competing with you because you're trying to acquire what they have without being who they are. Covetousness, immorality, sexuality, addiction. What is growing in you? So how do we, how do we escape this preacher? It just sounds like defeat. It, it, it just sounds like defeat. It sounds like there's nothing left to do. We have to cleanse or let God cleanse our inventory. If what the enemy is using to tempt us to sin is in us, when you change what's in you, you give the enemy less to use. Now go to First Peter and we're done. Say amen if you're with me. First Peter, Second Peter rather, chapter 2. I'm just going to read this and the lesson is yours. The Bible says here, it says, grace, verse number 2, and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Watch this, the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, okay? Which means, let me tell you something. Uh, uh, let me just share this with you. Sometimes the assumption is made that when you go through tr something traumatic, it changes you for the better. How many of you have ever, heard, ever heard that? Man, when you, go through, when you go through it, God will bring you out, you'll be better on the other side. That is not a rule of thumb, people. <laughs> uh, which scripture is that? It is not a rule of thumb that when you go through something traumatic, it will make you better. Please understand, my brothers and my sisters, that when you go through something traumatic, it throws you in the middle of a pendulum. Yes, you become more tenderized for God to bless and use, but you also become more vulnerable for the devil. Are you understanding this? It is not what happens to you, it is what's going on in you. And how do you know, preacher? The world had two times to start all over. Well, a total of three times, or two times, right? The first time the world got a chance to start all over in Genesis chapter 5 when God saw the imagination of man was evil continually, God says, I'm going to start all over. So you know what God does? He wipes the world out with a flood. Now if the problem was in creation itself, then it seems like when Noah and his family started back, it should have made another perfect world. All of the trauma of the flood, all of the world dying outside of them, being caged up in, in, that, in that ark with those animals, it seemed like you should do all right now. No. Why, you, after Noah makes an altar and offers to God a sacrifice, he gets drunk. What? Second chances don't change you. Hear me today. Second chances don't necessarily change you. We ought to change because of second chances. Are you understanding this? How many times have we ever said, if I come out of this, well, you're not going to be with me. I'm, I'm talking about me then. If I come out of this, but the problem is not your outside external circumstances and situations. It's your internal inventory. And if your heart doesn't change, a protest is not going to make a difference. See, I'm missing this. Don't miss this. Tra traumatic protest and looting and rioting. And we think, yeah, we, we want them to be, to hear us. A whole flood happened. The world was wiped out. That's louder than a protest, my brothers and my sisters. But sin still came back. Because if your circumstances change, 
but your inventory doesn't, then the devil has just as much of the edge as he had before your crisis. So look at what has to happen. Look at what happens. Bible says, grace be unto you, verse, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by those promises, by the promises, you might be partakers, not of worship, you might be partakers of good fellowship. No. You might be partakers of his divine nature. God says, that's why Christianity is not about these external things. It's not about Sunday morning. God says, if you want to break this cycle of conception, birth, growth, and death, you have to take my nature, receive my nature, which will minimize what the devil has that he can use to lead you and I to sin. When you take my nature, what happens is nature will regulate appetite. Uh, one of my kids, one day, one day, I'm, whether it was years ago or whether it was a few weeks ago, I cannot tell. <laughs> but dog food <laughs> smells really good. Y'all on the edge of y'all seat right now. You think you know? You think I'm gonna tell you some good stuff? Man. And one of the kids. This was a while ago. A while isn't is not a specified time. Ooh, it smells good. I dare you to. I dare you to eat it. It smells good. But when you taste it. She tasted it was nasty. But yet, my dog and gorgeous on it. Why? The nature of the dog is compatible with the appetite that he has for the food. Hello? You ever wonder why somebody can do something? And it's so good to them. And you're like, you can do that? Or I, I just can't bring myself to do You know why? Maybe because you, you have a different nature. And because your nature is different, it just doesn't taste good. Now watch this. You never arrive. We keep embracing that nature. And what happens is, as we mature in that nature, there are certain things we grow away from as we grow in his divine nature. Which means there are things you used to, and ways you used to be able to talk and things you used to be able to say to people that you can't bring yourself to do. Let me applaud you. You are growing away from sin. Your appetite is changing. Now watch this. I'm not just, talk, I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about what you find to be appealing. But you have to grow in that nature. Because if you do not grow and evolve in that nature, remember there is the nature of this world and if you stop resisting the nature of this world, you'll look up and because you have been quarantined and because you have fell off your horse, you'll look up and after this pandemic, you may find you're weaker than you were. Because pandemics don't change people. 
say amen if you understand what I'm saying. Which means you and I must grow. We must evolve. It is not automatically going to happen. Yes, God is good to us. But if you slip off the horse and you stop praying and you fall into an automatic way of living and you're getting used to the new normal, but the new normal doesn't include watching for your soul and investing in your, in your soul and feeding your soul and cultivating your soul and nurturing yourself in the Lord and you just let yourself go, you will look up and would have gone backwards in your maturity. And some of us know that by experience. Evolve, partake of the new nature so that you can grow away from sin and evolve into maturity. Which means, uh, which means, which is, doesn't make you better than anybody else, okay? Maturing in Christ don't mean you become judgmental. Because ain't no grown folk in Christ. Oh, watch this. There are, yeah, Chris, check this out, Chris. There are no grown folk in Christ, only growing folk. You heard me, Chris? Say amen, Chris. You don't ever get grown. Because guess what? The current is still going. And just when you think you've grown, and you can always tell the last place a person stopped growing. You can always tell. You can tell the last place they stopped studying. They bring arguments from 19 such and such into the into the classes they online getting getting all bent out of shape over nothing because when you stop growing it starts showing god bless you that's all i have mountain view god bless you give god some glory so lord cleanse my inventory What's in you that the devil is using? Only you know that. If you're here and you're watching and you're not a child of God, let me tell you something. You can't evolve until you're born. Unborn, the unborn don't evolve. And the Bible says, except the man is born again, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus died. He was buried and he got up again. And the Bible says that he sent his spirit. Acts chapter 2 and 38, the Bible says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why the Holy Spirit? God says, I want you to have my divine nature. The first thing God did with Adam is he shaped him, he formed him, and he breathed into Adam when he was making man in his image. Man fell out of the glorious image of God. And in order to get back into his image, you must let God breathe into you again. Not the breath of life and respiration, but the breath of inspiration through the Holy Spirit. And you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ Believing that he is the son of God and God raised him from the dead. Repent of your sins because you cannot evolve from sin you have not repented of. Our lives should be lives of repentance. A penitent life is a life not where you repent and go on. But you're always changing. You're always turning around. I've got to repent every day. Right? And I don't know if I'm alone in that, but I'll be, you know, I'm goofy enough to admit it. Every day I'm repenting of something. Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and Lord, I'm going to turn from that. But keep turning. Keep turning from it. Keep repenting. Keep repenting. Keep repenting. Don't fall into repetition. 
because when it's repetition, it's not only what you do, it becomes who you are. Keep repenting every day. Lord, I'm done. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Lord, turn my heart every single day. And you say, that's just too much. Well, that's because the current is taking you in the other direction. And it's hard to swim upstream. It's hard. But if you let yourself go, you'll go with the current. And if you believe with all your heart and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess Jesus to be the Son of God, you can be buried with Christ in baptism. If you're here and you need prayer and you have, you're watching online and you need prayer, just put your prayer request in the comment section. Our prayer counselors will tend to you. They'll look and they'll see. And uh, we will make sure we pray for you. Maybe you're here and you've got some inventory and the devil's been using something in your inventory that you've not moved yet, a desire you have. You know, you can pray, Lord, take that taste from me. I wish there were some honest people somewhere that will admit there are times you got to say, Lord, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to think like this. Lord, take this, take this from me. And the conflict is what's nasty for you tastes good to you. Right? It's like the satisfaction of getting somebody back. Some of, us, some of us are vengeful. We want to get back people, and we have mastered passive-aggressive ways to do it, and it satisfies us. And we look up, and, and, and watch this, would have been talking about haters all our lives, only to look one day and find out that we're the very most effective hater. And we don't get satisfied until we see people get what they deserve in our eye. Lord, take that away. Take that away. Everybody stand to your feet. If you need to come, uh, maybe you want prayer. We're not going to have you come sit, but if you want to come stand here and we'll do a public prayer for you. If you just need prayer, you can come now. We're going to sing the song of you. Do that.